All right, we're on now. Well, good morning. It's so good to be together, and this treasure we have in Christ together is indescribable. But to, to sing, you begin to, your heart begins to stir, be stirred again of, of the treasure Jesus is, and, and we do have nothing without him. Were you guys getting tired of Romans yet? No? Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm not either. I, I have grown so much through this. This has been such a rich uh, book to walk with, with you guys. And uh, I just pray that your hearts would continue to be stirred with the, the beauty of the good news of, of Jesus. Uh, as we titled this series, Unashamed of the Good News of Jesus. And, and that's, uh, I think, what God is, is doing as we treasure more and more Jesus in our lives. We um, we begin to value more and more the, the, the news of, of the salvation that we have, and we can't help but, but share it. We can't help but, but, uh, but share it with everyone around us. And so God, is by His Spirit, is doing that in our hearts as we go through. Well, we're in the middle of the book now, uh, in chapter 11. And uh, as Boomer said last week, you really have to take these three chapters, 9, 10, 11, together. And... And it's a central part of the book of Romans. The, the first part really deals with our, our, our salvation, of, of the good news of Jesus and what he's done, not only through our justification, but as well as through our sanctification and then ultimately our glorification. But now in these three chapters, Paul is asking this very important question that's foundational because Paul said in the very beginning that the gospel is by faith. Right? right? It's not anything we've done. It's a gift of grace. And, and our responsibility is faith, to believe, to be fully persuaded that God can do what He's promised. And so if the gospel rests on the promise of God, the character of God, then Paul has to ask this question, is God faithful to His promises to Israel? And that's what 9 through 11 is all about, is, is, is God faithful to His promise to Israel? And I have to think back to the whole foundation of, of what Paul is sharing in the good news because he starts out by pointing out our condition of utter sinfulness and lostness. Apart from God, we are not faithful. We tend to rebel and to reject the ways of God, and that's created destruction in our own lives and everything around us. And then Paul says in chapter 3, after laying that foundation of understanding our true condition, our true reality of, of where we're at, he says in chapter 3, even if every man is proved a liar, God is proved faithful. And that's what we sang about this morning is, is we can trust in who God is because he is a good God and he is faithful to his promise. Um, I asked my son this week, have I ever not kept my word to you <laughs> it's a dangerous question <laughs> and you know he said dad yeah actually there's a couple times where you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it and you know we're really good at seeing where people have failed us right and I think if we're honest this morning as we look at our own hearts we see wounds we see things that have happened where either in our own families or people around us where we had expectations that people were going to do things and it didn't happen and it left deep disappointment in our lives. And so we all share that experience. Why? Because of our sinful condition. But that's why the character of God is so important. 
He's not like us. <laughs> he is faithful. He does keep his promise. And so even if we are unfaithful, that doesn't take away from the faithfulness of God. That's the great promise of this great news, good news of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we read chapter 11 out of Romans? And it should be on the screen. You can follow along. I asked then, did God reject his people by no means? I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that, that what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain, the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will be their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles insomuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry and the hope that I may somehow arouse my people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For it is God, if he did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And if they did not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And in this my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Amen. 
But as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Amen. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So that they too now have become disobedient in order that they now may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. You may be seated. So two times in this chapter, Paul speaks emphatically, strongly, saying, no way, no way. And the question that he responds to is, in in verse 1, did God reject his people? In verse 11, did they stumble so far as to not be able to be recovered? And Paul answers, no way. (laughs) That's good. That's good news. God has a plan And his plan is to save. And we've seen from the very beginning in Romans is is God's desire is to bring salvation, to bring life. And so as Paul continues to struggle and wrestle, and remember the struggle and wrestle is not so much with God, but with his own longing to see all of his people, the Jewish people, saved. Because Paul had this, this radical encounter with Jesus that changed his whole trajectory of his life and he found that Jesus was the greatest treasure and that nothing else compared to him and that he was the fulfillment of all that God had promised in the law and the Old Testament. And so Paul, as he answers this question of did God reject his people, Paul uses an illustration of himself. In verse 1 and 2 he says, by no means I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul looks back and he says, how has God been faithful to his promise of Israel? And he didn't have to look very far. He just had to look down and say, look at me. I'm a testimony to the faithfulness of God because I was a true Israelite and yet God rescued me. He he came to me and he showed me the way of life. And, And in a real way, each one of us here this morning could stand up and say, I'm a testimony to God's faithfulness. Look at my life. Look at where I was and look what God has done to rescue me, to give me new life, to give me a hope and a future. And so Paul looks at himself and says, God is faithful. But not just at himself, he goes back to a story of Elijah. Because Elijah was at a point in his ministry, in his life, where called by God to to share the treasure of God with a nation that was hardened against God. And Elijah, in a desperation, said, God, there's no one left but me. (laughs) Woe is me. And and we, we can identify with that. We can feel like we're the only ones. And God says, who are you, Elijah, to think you're the only one? Don't you know that I have, I have many, many more who are my children, who I have called and who are faithful? And it, it was a reminder to Elijah, God is faithful. He keeps his word. And so Paul says, look at yourself, God's faithfulness in your own life. And then he looks, he says, God's even bigger than that because there's so many more people that he is calling to be part of his plan of salvation. And so Paul uses himself, and then he ends in verse 6 and 7 looking at this grace. He says, 
this salvation, this work of God is not by works, it is by grace. And he says if it's, if it's based on works, it wouldn't be grace. <laughs> and so Paul is saying that the work of God isn't up to us. It, and he used the earlier in chapter 9, the illustration of the Jewish people who thought, you know, we have arrived somehow based on our own ethnicity, our own heritage. And yet Paul is saying the, the, the ground is level before God. He doesn't have favorites. It's the same way. All of us come in the same way, and it's grace. <laughs> it's nothing we've done. It's nothing that our ancestors did. It's nothing that, uh, that, that we can do. It's based solely on the favor of God, even though we are undeserved of it. That's how we all get in, the same way. And this is so important in this book of Romans because Paul is writing to a church in Rome that is Jewish and Gentile. Um, and just like any church, and we would include ourselves in this, we all come from such different backgrounds. So we may not be Jew or Gentile, but each of us has an has a ethnic heritage, a spiritual heritage, and we, that can easily become divisive. And in the early church, there was a struggle over that. And Paul is reminding the church that what what unites us, what calls us together to be God's people is not our heritage, not our, our, our uh, ethnicity, but it is God's grace. That's what defines us as his people. And so the same thing that unified the early church as Paul called them back to the good news of Jesus is what unifies us. <laughs> we are here because of grace and only grace. And so Paul says in this chapter in these first verses through 20 um, through uh, verse 10 that people not everyone received the grace of God and he talks about the hardening of Israel and it's the same in our day God doesn't force his grace upon others but he calls us to receive it by faith that's why Paul said in the very beginning that this gospel is a message of, of righteousness and only the righteous will receive it by faith, right? It's faith alone. And so some have rejected that gift of grace and their hearts are hardened. And so Paul is wrestling with that reality. What is God's plan? How is God going to work? How is God going to be faithful in this reality that, that there's a remnant, there's some who are responding to the gift Yet there are some whose hearts are hardened. And that's when we come to verses 11 through 25. Paul in these verses gives us an illustration that highlights the rescue plan of God, the salvation plan of God. Because God's intention is to save. As we sang already today, God did not leave the 99. Uh, he, uh, he left the 99 to save the one. That's the heart of God. It's a God who pursues who rescues, who saves. And so Paul highlights that in verses 11 through 25. And so he talks about God's faithfulness in this plan of salvation. And this, this is seen in his desire to not only save Jew, but also to save Gentile. <laughs> See, the heart of God was too big just to save one people out of all the peoples of the earth. He's, his desire was to save all people. In fact, the great capstone image and vision of the entire Bible is found in Revelation where it says every nation, tribe, and tongue will be before the throne of God worshiping him. 
all are invited to be with God. And that's what Paul says here in verses 11 through 12. He talks about this adoption to sonship. And that that adoption wasn't just for the natural born children, the Israelites, but also to the Gentiles, those who weren't born as part of the people of Israel, but are now included because of God's heart and his desire to save. But Paul says that same heart hasn't abandoned Israel. (laughs) That same heart that longed for you and I to be included also wants them to be included. And so Paul's longing is that somehow the, the Jewish people's eyes would be open as they would see every nation and tribe and tongue coming into the, the riches of God's grace and his love, that they too would be aroused. That their too, their desire for God would be aroused and that they would see who God is and his desire to rescue. And so that's why he talks about this envy that should, that he's asking God to arise in their hearts so that they too can share in the riches of Jesus. And so that's Paul's heart, his longing, and he sees God's sovereign plan in this. He sees that God hasn't, he hasn't stopped pursuing Israel just as he's pursuing all people. And so Paul is not ashamed to say, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he, he sees us as a source of, of great joy as he says, God has called me to bring this message of Jesus to people who have never heard about Christ, who don't have the rich heritage of Israel. And he uses the illustration of a tree, an olive tree. And he talks about branches. And this is really important for us. Many people in church history have not spent enough time in Romans chapter 11. There's a very clear warning here for us. And um, if you go back and and some of the great heroes of our faith out of the Reformation um, allowed a seat of pride to grip their hearts, especially concerning Israel, but also to other people. And this pride can also be in our lives. In fact, I would say of every sin I've ever wrestled with, pride is the most devastating one that I see in my own heart, that I see around me. It is is the greatest and most evil of all sins. And Paul warns over and over in verse 20, he says, Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Because what can happen is Paul is describing this this grafting of branches of Gentiles, and, and the reaction could be from those Gentiles to be superior to the Jews, to look down on them and say, hey, they didn't get it, they missed it. So there's judgment in looking down on them. And much of church history that's happened, and it's horrible and, and terrible that that pride has entered the church. And so we have to look at this warning and be reminded that we have to be careful. And not just with the issue of Israel, but even in any of our theological positions because if you read Romans 9 through 11 and if you start studying theology you see that many people have based their understanding of God and how he's working in the world off of these chapters and that's beautiful God has given us minds to pursue to understand to study but we have to be careful because pride can get in there and I have been around many places where people are discussing these issues and there's pride as people talk about getting it right and looking down on others and even judging others and condemning others based on their positions. And that is wrong. And that's why Paul says, be careful. Do not be arrogant, but 
tremble. He says, do not be conceited. We have to understand God's grace and our place. God's grace and our place. You see, we all came in the same way. Undeserved grace. It's God's favor. It's his blessing. It's his love that's included us. And we have to be very careful to understand who we are. We are valued by God. We are loved by God. We are treasured by God. He was willing to sacrifice his own son for us. But we may never, ever start thinking that we're more than we are. And that's what Paul is saying. Be careful. Be careful. Don't start thinking you're something that you're not. Because it will destroy. It will cause hurt. And so Paul invites us to a place of humility and wonder and awe of who God is. So the whole focus here is on God's glory, on what God is doing. And that's why next week I'm so excited to look at the doxology with you, verses 33 through 36 is where we look at the beauty and the wonder of our God who is awesome and what he's doing and how he's saving us and how he's redeeming and restoring and making everything new. It's beautiful. And so what Paul is inviting us is is to understand God's rescue plan, that he is bringing a new people together, and it includes Israel, and it includes us. And in verse 25, he tells us there's a mystery, and he says, all Israel will be saved. Isn't that good news? (laughs) God is faithful to his promise. He's going to keep his promise. He's going to pursue the people of Israel just as he's pursued us. And God's plan, it all boils down to mercy and his covenant. Verse 27, and this is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. God is doing the work. (laughs) And that's why I'm so excited this morning. We're going to celebrate communion because it is so important for us to understand the promise of God of what God has done in Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, the conclusion of 9, 10, and 11, as as Paul is struggling with the reality of of God's sovereignty and his plan and the reality that some people are rejecting and their hearts are hardened, God's, or the conclusion here in verses 28 through 32 is that what we ultimately need is mercy. All of us. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, no matter what our spiritual heritage, our background is, we all need the same thing. We need the mercy of God, the grace of God, because we have all been in the same place. We've all been utterly lost in our sin, all of us. And God's glory is seen in his mercy for us and for all people. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare for communion. I want you to think about this reality. And I want you to, in a sense, tremble. There is great awe and reverence in coming to the table. But as we come to the table, what's foundational as we come to the table to remember what Jesus has done on the cross is to remember God's covenant his promise and his faithfulness to accomplish what he has promised.